Well, it's good to see you all here this morning, and uh, as you can see, our, our puppet stage is coming along nicely. We're getting real close to having that finished, uh, hopefully in the next uh, week. And so, well, I hope you're coming from a great week. We're continuing a series that we started about four weeks back where we're working through the book of Mark, which is really just a, a compelling account of Jesus' life. And this morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. You can start turning your Bibles there now. And if you don't have a Bible, then the nice thing is there's one in the seat in front of you. It's a lot easier to follow what I'm talking about if you have that in front of you. So Mark chapter 4. And the title of this message I'm calling Fan or Follower. Fan or Follower. And I don't know if you have, uh, if you're a sports fan or if you've had a particular team that you've followed for, for many years. Anybody here have a, a team that you've been like, man, I've been cheering them on forever. Not a lot of ladies in the group. A few, there we go, a lot of guys. Uh, but I was, I was giving a hard time uh, to my uh, sister over the years. Um, I have t- I'm the youngest of three. and I have two older sisters. And uh, one's married and her husband's a worship pastor in Denver. And when they moved from Chicago to Denver, uh, they, they had been Bulls fans for just years and years and years, just following during the Jordan era back in the good old days when they were good and would win. And, uh, and, and they, were, they were the kind of fans that, like, literally, they had, like, every single game recorded. Remember when you'd have them on cassette tapes for each, each thing? So you could go through, they had a closet just full of cassettes of, like, Jordan games, Jordan games, like, just crazy fans. And, uh, and then when they moved to Denver, my first visit out there, I was expecting to still see some of the, the Bulls paraphernalia up, you know, check the closet, look for the, the cassettes. But I, I get there. And they're wearing like Nuggets t-shirts. They, they had like in a short period of time, it wasn't a long, it wasn't a long commitment. They were gone. They were out. And, and I still give them a hard time about it because I'm like, you were fans. You're not followers. And, uh, and, and still tease them about that to this day. I'm sure they'll hear that on, uh, on the, the message later on today. But uh, the, the idea here is similar with Jesus Christ is he had a lot of fans, but actually very limited number of followers, if you will. A fan, by definition, is an enthusiastic admirer, an enthusiastic admirer. And really, if we're honest, the question that begs to be answered here this morning is, is that my description of my relationship with Jesus Christ, an enthusiastic admirer, where you appreciate the things that he did or does, you appreciate the things that maybe he said. You, you're, you're passionate about that. But really, when it comes to that crossroad of actually following, not sure if you really want to make that step, that plunge, if you will. And so in this text here this morning, he challenges the crowd on that exact same reality, whether or not they're going to be fans or followers. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we thank you for this chance to be together even so far this morning to celebrate you, to put the spotlight on you. And we're asking now that this text does exactly that. We get a chance to learn from you in this parable that you tell and you describe it as foundational. And so I just pray that you'd take any blinders off, that you'd allow uh, your spirit to just move and work and reveal the truth of this text to our hearts. And we invite you here now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Chapter 4, verse 1 the first thing that we're going to notice, and we talked about it a couple weeks ago, is that how he included everybody. Take a look at the text. It says this, Again, he began to teach beside the sea, 
and a very large crowd gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. So this picture that he's beginning to paint, just explaining what was happening, is Jesus, as usual, would have massive crowds coming to, to hear him speak, and comp- so compelling and so magnetic, if you will, that in this case, he's so packed in that people had to, had to come, and they literally, as they crowded in, he went out in a boat, just a little bit off of the water. And when it says sea there, it's describing the Sea of Galilee. You can see a present-day picture of that, very beautiful surrounding, and as you can see, even still today, an area where crops are, are planted and very uh, fertile soil is known for in that region. So he's there on the side of, of the water with this massive crowd gathered in a boat and starts to teach, making sure that he's out in an open space so that anybody and everybody can come and hear. And here's what he starts to teach, the picture that he paints in verse 2. It says this, and it says, And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, exclamation mark, Behold, a sower went out to the... So- out to sow, and as he sowed, some feed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, and where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it was withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain." And the other seeds fell into good soil and produced, gr- produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Then he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pause there and talk about this a little bit. The first thing that you notice in the text is that a sower went out to sow. A sower would be another name for a, a farmer of sort. And the sowing that he does is throwing seed. And if you picture in uh, today's world a, a field being uh, tilled or gotten, gotten ready, prepared for the, for the seed to be planted, it wasn't the kind of seed, though, that you'd plant. Sometimes you, you do a row and you plant seeds at a certain distance apart. This was more, this was call, called the, the uh, this was called the broadcast method. You can see there the picture of this man. He's kind of throwing it. And the hopes are in throwing that seed is, and it's realistic, though, that, that some would land on good soil and others would be kind of the casualties, if you will. And so he's throwing that out with the intent of planting in that area. He goes on in the, the text to describe the different types of soil that these seeds that he's tossing out broadcast. It's kind of cool that that word is, that we use today is still taken from that, that image of farming as being sent out or, or, or spoken out in, in that case. And then it lands on different types of, of, uh, of soil, if you will. The first one that he describes is landing on the path. The path would be, in that time and that day and age, they didn't have, they didn't have fences girding in the, the fields. They would actually be surrounded by paths, and that's how somebody would pass through that countryside, is they'd go on these paths in between the fields. Does that make sense? So you can imagine these paths would be pretty well-worn from being walked on constantly, not being tilled. And pretty much the, any seed that landed on the path 
like that, pretty much game over, you know, like it's landing on hard soil. The chances of that actually taking root and growing with people walking past is pretty unrealistic, and so much so that it paints the picture that the birds at that time would follow this guy that's thrown out, out the seeds, and that was like a free meal. Like they would cash in behind this sower on anything that landed on the path. Does that make sense? My, uh, my family and I, we love going on a vacation each summer to a place called Ocean City, New Jersey. It's been an annual tradition. I've talked about it before. And one of the things that they have in Ocean City is they have a boardwalk with lots of different, uh, they've got uh, mini golf, they've got lots of places for treats. Our favorite thing is going and getting some kind of a snack before bed. Uh, and one of the things that they sell there is they sell these awesome fresh cut fries like they're huge like the really long french fries fresh cut but perfectly made and uh one of the things that we noticed though is that over the years the seagulls in that area have gotten much more aggressive like they don't just wait to see if somebody might drop something they like to participate in that and so there i remember one particular time we were walking i see this kid probably about nine or ten years old and he's got his big bucket of fries He's walking, he's kind of huddled over it, and literally the seagulls are like diving by him, flying by. He starts getting so panicked at this, he starts into a run with his bucket of fries there, and what's a boardwalk made out of? Wood, and so he catches his foot on a piece, and, uh, and then there goes all the fries. Seagulls are just having a heyday at this kid's expense. I know, I know, it's terrible. Um, <laughs> And, and, and so here in that picture that comes to mind, uh, a lot of sympathy in this room. I appreciate that over fries. Um, and uh, what, what comes to mind is that same picture of like this seed going out and before it even has any chance to be, in that case, kid's case, eaten, it, it, it's swallowed up, it's, it's dissolved, it's gone, it's off of, the, off of the table. So that's the first picture that he paints of the soil. Then the second one, he describes as landing in rocky ground, rocky ground. When I first thought about that, I was thinking in terms of like, well, they didn't prepare the ground very well for planting if there's still rocks there. But the picture that it describes is it says that it doesn't say that it was rocks on top. It says that they didn't have much soil on top. The picture there is the idea of like the top may have looked clear. The dirt, it had been tilled unbeknownst to the farmer is right below that would be a level of bedrock. And so what does it say that the, that the roots, it, took, it wouldn't take root if it was actually on top of rock, but it took, it took root in the, in the soil, just that small amount. But then what does it say in the text that happens when the sun came? Like, forget about it. It had no place to go. There was no, it was just rocks that hadn't really dug in its roots. So that's the second picture that he portrays there. This third one he describes as the thorns, the thorns. This is deceptive soil where it may have been tilled, it may have looked good, but isn't it funny how with weeds, maybe you've noticed this in your own garden, if you just get the top part of it, what's left below, right? The roots, right? That drives me crazy when I'm weeding by our, our little townhome and there you take off the top and you see the top snap and you're like, oh, well, that's going to be back next week because the roots are still there. The, the, the same picture, am I the only one that does that? Does other, other people do that? And, uh, and, and, so, uh, and so in this picture, the, the, these thorns are still growing just under the surface where they're not visible to the, the human eye, but it, it's going to catch up to it down the road. road. And what does a, a thorn do? It One, it smothers its ability to, uh, to get moisture. It steals the moisture and then blocks it from the sun. So a pretty dangerous thing when you're dealing with 
thorns in your garden that describes it as choking it out. So it's those three types of soils that he first describes. And the fourth one he's talking about, saying that, but then there's, there's some that's going to actually fall on good soil, if you will. And this good soil, it's an extreme illustration for these farmers, because in that day and age, uh, a crop that yielded five to 15 fold would have been like, yes, like this is an awesome year. I scored. So each of his illustrations that he uses, like was, would have been an extreme example, 30 would have been double what the, an amazing crop would have been uh, in that time period. 60 would have been like crazy pants. It's like 100 would have been just insane. Like, are you kidding me? Like, no way. That's, that's the kind of a, a yield that really wouldn't be realistic or ever seen by a farmer. It's the kind of yield that obviously there's some kind of outside genetic engineering or something that happened to make this happen. So that's the picture that he's painting here is the, the, the three examples of the, the bad soil, and then the one example of the extreme awesome response. Then he ends that section, and what does he say at the end of his teaching there? He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Interesting statement to make at the end of that. If you think about it, and maybe some of the, the wives can attest to this, that just because a husband has ears doesn't guarantee that he's able to hear. Any amens there? Or the, the, uh, yes. And, and so we tease that same sister, uh, Chris. Well, she's given different accounts of her husband, Randy, uh, and different times where she'll, she'll say to him, say, listen, don't forget, tomorrow night we have dinner with the, the neighbors. Be like, what are you talking about? She's like, I shared this with you on the couch, same spot last week. And his response, did I respond? Did I respond to that, to that information? And maybe that's the, the case with you guys and your interactions. Maybe the, the guys are kind of hiding in the shadows here. But the, the, the point is this, is that just because you have ears that work doesn't guarantee that you hear what's being spoken. And that's what Jesus is saying to this group of listeners, saying, hey, just because you have ears doesn't guarantee that you're going to grasp this. And that's exactly the case there. Because in this particular story, we're going to see in a second that many completely miss it. Really, things haven't changed today. A lot of people have heard truth that presented for years and years, maybe been exposed to the church. They've maybe heard uh, the, the gospel presented. They've heard this Jesus thing for years and years, but it's never really stuck. Most missed its meaning. Take a look in verse 10 at what happens to the, the audience. It says, And when he was alone... Those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. So after the crowd had left. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. Let's pause there for a second to unpack that a bit. Kind of a strange section of, of Scripture, if you will. The, the only way that a parable of sorts is effective is if it's simple and easy to explain, right? Like, that's the only way that it makes sense. Otherwise, if not, the, there can't be a hidden meaning. Otherwise, if you don't know what the parable is illustrating, it be, can become just the opposite. It can become a riddle of sorts. And that's what had happened in this case. A parable can either be one that's to reveal or 
to conceal. Does that make sense? So here in this context, he describes when Jesus asked about it, why, why, why wouldn't Jesus want people to understand what he's talking about? I mean, has anybody ever wondered that before with a, the, within the context of these stories? Like, why would he spend time with these massive groups of people and, and, and talk in a manner that they didn't get it? But what does he, what does he say there in the, the text? He refers to those outside, and then he, then he uh, talks to those that have been revealed the secret things of the kingdom. So two different camps of people. You see, the truth is, is that he knew the hearts of his audience. He knew exactly what was going on there. They had heard simple truth presented, and they chose to reject it. They had hardened their hearts. If you think about it, when Jesus first showed up in chapter 1, we see that he was going around proclaiming, verse 14 and 15, they went proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled. You can see it on the screen behind me. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So when he first showed up, it was clear as a bell. He's saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm finally here. Believe in the, the message that I'm, I'm bringing. They had the option to believe. They had a choice. But here, since they rejected his clear invitation, now he's going a different route with this. They had even, in chapter 3, just before this, they had not just rejected it, they were even starting to say, he's possessed. He's, 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 Beelzebub is, is guiding him. He's possessed by Satan. He's, he's be, he's, so they had gone to that level of extreme. And so the people there, the audience, the majority, were fans, but not followers. He points this out in the text when he says this. And he says, and he said to them, you, to you has been given the secret things of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that, and listen to these words, they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. What was he talking about there? He was actually making reference to prophets prior to him, to Isaiah, who had came with the same message to repent. Isaiah, in fact, Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, this is what Isaiah spoke of the people of his day, exact, exact mirror of this. this. Described them, said that they keep on hearing, but do not understand. They keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and, the, and, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Jesus knew their hearts was the same as what the prophet thousands of years prior had experienced. They were hardened. They were hardened. And so the truth is, as Jesus saw directly to their hearts, and since they have rejected him, he wasn't going to give them more truth when they hadn't embraced the truth that he had already given. Does that make sense? And so now, it's really, in all honesty, it's a uh, the parables were now a form of judgment. It's a tragic time for the nation of Israel. No longer was he speaking in a manner that was, that was clear and understandable by all. We see here in the text that this is now for those on the inside, those that had embraced him as the Messiah. So he's going to explain to them how this whole kingdom thing works. So in other words, you have to acknowledge him as king before he's willing to explain how the kingdom works. Take a look in verse 13 as he helps his followers get it. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? 
How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They're the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in. And what does it do? Chokes the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So he gives this explanation. Look at the beginning of that section. It says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Point being is this is a very foundational parable in order for them to understand all the others. This is kind of the, 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 setting the basis for a lot that he's going to teach down the road. Both Matthew 13 and Luke give the same account. And Mark, who typically moves through the account of Jesus fairly quickly, slows down enough to make sure that the audience gets it, make sure that we understand. And so what it does is he's pointing to the fact that it actually is regulating our understanding of how evangelism works in the world around us, helping us understand that, hey, there's going to be some false conversions. Some, and we're going to see in the, the text there, he starts unpacking it. Like how many different of the parables build on this? The foolish virgins, the sheep and the goats, the man who builds house on the rock, the wheat and the tares, all of those pointing to this same reality that we see in this text here. So what does he point to? First, he points out who the sower is or the farmer of sorts. Anyone who shares the gospel message, the good news. What's the good news? The good news is that we are fallen and broken in our sins, separated from a perfect God, but God didn't choose to leave us in that predicament. He chose to intervene. God in the flesh came down. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life as a perfect example for us, then died as a sacrifice, as a payment for the penalty that should have been directed towards us. That's the good news. So the sower is the person that's giving that good news to the world around. That's what it says, that sowing the word, if you will. That's the person that, that broadcasts it. And I, again, love that, that description of sending it out, sending it out, the truth. So with that, who's supposed to be the sower? Any, any of us, any of us that have embraced Jesus Christ as our, as our Savior and Lord, all of us are called to be these sowers or, or broadcasters, if you will, to, to speak truth, to share it with other people. If we're, if we're confused that our life is about just becoming a, a better person and more moral, more holy, more, all of those things, all those things are great, but all of those things are a foundation for our primary call which is to be broadcasters. It's to give validity to our message. It's not what our life is intently the purpose for our existence. Otherwise, we would have gone straight to, to heaven and made holy immediately. The point is we're left here with a broadcasting to do. And so the sower in this story is us. So then what, is it, what does he describe happens for that person? Is He's explaining to them that the... And I, I found this interesting. I was reading some from MacArthur, listening to him talk on the subject. 
is a lot of us can get confused in this next section. We can get confused and start to think that the problem is with the sower or with the seed. We get confused about that. We start to think like, well, why isn't that working? Why is it having such a problem? We say, maybe there's an issue with the sower, meaning me. Maybe that's the problem. How many conferences I've come back from with the church things, and you listen to these amazing preachers up there, and you're like, wow, they are good, and I'm not. You know, like you come, you come back from that, and you're just, you're just you second-guessing yourself as the sower. Maybe you've done that even with your ability to, to, to share truth with somebody that you care about. You're just like, man, I'm just not very good at it, you know? Like it's just it's a, the issue is me. Maybe, maybe I need to be more relevant, more hip. Maybe I need skinny jeans. Maybe I need a bigger iPhone. Maybe I need, uh, maybe I need some tattoos. So uh, maybe I need to figure out to, how to overcome obstacles within a conversation. Maybe some of those things are true. Maybe not the iPhone. They bend. But, uh, but, but, but maybe, the, 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 maybe that's not the point here. Maybe the problem isn't with the sower. Maybe that's not the issue. So a lot of people move from that conclusion to saying like, well, maybe it's an issue with the seed, right? The gospel. Maybe, maybe I need to make that a little bit more palatable. Maybe that whole idea of judgment coming, maybe we should take that out of the equation. Let's, let's not talk about that hell thing. That's a little bit offensive, like that idea of meeting a perfect judge. Like, wait a second, maybe I need to adjust that and look at American churches that have. Or maybe it's not just taking away something. Maybe it's the adding to it. Maybe it's the prosperity idea. Maybe it's this idea of, you know what? If you embrace Jesus as Lord, your life is going to be perfect. It's going to be roses. It's going to be like skipping through a field of daisies. Like that's the, that's the message that we send or we can buy into this lie that, okay, maybe we need to adjust the seed that way. We either need to take away from it or we need to add to it. The point being here is that the one thing in this context that had the issue, the one variable wasn't the seed, wasn't the sower, it was only the soil, right? The issue had to do with the soil. And what is the soil talking about? What's the, what does the, the soil represent in this, in this parable? Is the soil represents somebody's heart. The soil represents somebody's heart and how hard or soft that is. And in fact, Matthew 13, 19 in the same account describes that the seed is sown in the heart. In the heart. It's the soil. That's where it's being sown. That's a foundational truth to understand as he's trying to clarify expectations for us as the broadcasters. As we go out, we need to be aware that the soil is the primary issue. And who can change soil? Anybody here have the ability to change somebody's heart, adjust that? Not really, as much as we might try, right? As, as long as we've been uh, dealing with somebody or working on somebody or sharing with somebody, we can't change the soil. In fact, Jesus points to that in John 6, He says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Unless the Father draws him, he's got to do the work. He's got to do the tilling behind the scenes. And for us, to some degree, as the broadcasters, there's some hope there. Because you're like, okay, the, the issue isn't me. The issue isn't my message. The issue is has to do with the hearts that it's landing on. And look at them describe what, it, what, that, what the, the hearts look like. It's kind of ironic, though, that while Jesus is in the middle of being rejected by these people, 
he's explaining how rejection works. Isn't that kind of funny? Uh, like, imagine that, almighty God in the flesh a few steps ahead of his audience. And so he's explaining to them how it works, how it works in the, the, this day and age and it's still today. The path represents in that time folks that maybe have never even considered the plausibility that their life depends on what they do with Jesus Christ's offer of forgiveness. Somebody that's never even considered that. Somebody that's never slowed down enough, never wrestled with it. They're just blazing through their limited years, precious years here, and never even letting it have a chance to start to take root. That's the hard soil. That would have been in that time, that would have been the religious leaders. They, they had seen all this amazing stuff Jesus had done. He had just healed a guy's hand the previous week. He's done, doing all these fabulous things, not even really considering it. But how true is that today? Still the same. How many times somebody doesn't even make it to their car after hearing truth without already turning that off? It's already shut down. That's what he's describing as he describes landing on the path that that person has, is Satan, and he describes it as a spiritual battle. The birds are Satan in, in, the, in this story. And so this picture of the person that's never even considered it. I've talked to a businessman here at our church that uh, works at his company, ends up hiring a lot of Jewish folks, and he has a wonderful opportunity to, to talk and engage about Jesus Christ there. He's telling me this interaction that he had uh, close to Christmas this last year, and I encouraged him in this conversation. And he, he said he asked this woman that he works with, have you ever even considered that Jesus Christ might be the Messiah that the Jewish nation is waiting for? Have you ever considered that possibility? What a great question. What a, a great one, even re related to this here context. Have you slowed down enough to actually consider the plausibility of that? So the, that's the first thing that he points to is the path. That's the hardest one to break through to. The other one that he points to in the text is the rocky soil. Remember we described that with the, the bedrock just below the surface. Maybe it's been tilled on top. It started, but it never really got to the core hard-heartedness. And what happens to that person, this rocky person? It says that they receive it with joy. I thought that was interesting. That's a, what, what do we normally think of with joy? Joy is nor, normally associated with an emotion. It's an emotional response. They get caught up in the whole emotion of it, and they're like, all right, I'll try this Jesus thing on. I, I'll, I'll accept that. And what happens, though? When the storms, what does it say in the text? When the trials come and the, uh, when the, the world starts happening, the cares of this world, what happens? It's, it, 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 it doesn't take root. All, it, it, it fails. The sun scorches it. It gets destroyed because it never took root because it was just an emotional response. That's a great reminder for us that are anybody that wants to do some kind of an emotional appeal to somebody like uh, trying to work them up, thinking about it. And uh, like really, if it's a, a legit decision for Christ, a lot of times the only emotion somebody will see is more of the like pain of, man, I have blown it. I'm so fallen. I'm so broken. I'm so desperate for Jesus Christ. And so in this picture, that's what he paints is this idea of receiving it with joy, but then it, but then it being dying off. I like this quote. I didn't catch who, who said it, but it says, Selfish people are fertile soil for emotional gospel that promises happiness and prosperity. That's why it's so, so prevalent in our culture, this the emotional response to like, oh, just buy into this, as we talked about earlier. 
So the path, the rocky ground, and then here the last one, the thorns. The Greek word used there for thorns is acanthus, and it's the same word that you used for the thorn that was put on Jesus' head, which is pretty interesting for the type of thorn that he's talking about. And what does that represent in this context? It's, it's talking about the person that's double-minded. He wants to be both following God, one foot following God, and one foot still in the world. Isn't, isn't willing to give up, isn't, isn't willing to fully dive in, to fully release. They're still entangled. And the thing that he points to in this context is saying it doesn't work with both. It doesn't work with both because why? Because the thorns come and they start to, the cares and worries of this world and the pursuit of, of treasure and the pursuit of things and me, 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 it gets choked out, right? That's what it describes in the, the text is he describes the the folly of trying to follow both so both of a so all three of those different areas are areas or conditions of the heart and then he points to the last one which is finally a bit of hope for the audience if you will or for his followers that were actually able to understand he starts talking about this extreme super fertile soil that just takes off right remember we described that earlier this is the soil that he's describing he's saying listen Hey, don't be, don't be discouraged because, yes, you're going to broadcast. You're going to throw out truth, and sometimes it's going to get choked. Sometimes it may even look like it's starting to grow, but then it, then it disappears. And how many of us have experienced that with people we care about? And then, but finally, trust me, there's still fertile soil out there. We need to find hope in that. We need to find hope in that fact, that truth, because he paints the picture as an extreme example. Listen, these numbers that you're talking about here, he said they're going to be blown out of the water. What you considered a good uh, crop of, uh, of 15, 10 to 15 fold, he's saying, listen, even on the low end, it's double that. If that, again, it's double that at 60, at 100, it's crazy, the response. And think about it. It wasn't that far from here that the book of Acts occurs, right? And what happened with the church? So the truth started sneaking out. It started in these little house, house groups and these house churches. And before you knew it, what does it say? And, and, and thousands were added to their number that day. It was people, the harvest, and the ironic thing, it was mostly Gentiles uh, in that case. Uh, but, but it started to expand. It started to blow up. And still here today, a couple thousand years later, what's still happening? still fertile soil. God's still doing a work. He's still bringing, bringing fruit. He's still taking what the same system that he explained then. Broadcast, throw it out there, fertile soil, amazing response. Broadcast, throw it out there, fertile soil, amazing response. I don't know if you've spent any time in the last month just watching the news a bit with all that's going on in the Middle East. It's pretty disheartening, wouldn't you say? Just some of the craziness and this ISIS thing and, uh, and, and all that's happening there. And really, I was, I was reading some articles this week, and I was thinking about it like, man, talk about the place on the, the planet. If there's ever a place that seems absent of hope, anybody else agree with that? Like, man, it's a, it's a, a rough environment. I mean, Christians being persecuted. And I was reading this article this week that was really a testimony to the fact that uh, the same thing that Jesus was pointing about fertile soil. Take a, take a listen. It's about a, a woman. Uh, it's by, about a woman by the name of Fatima. Fatima, an Iraqi woman who fled the atrocities committed by the Islamic State, was drawn to the sound of singing, this is a recent story, singing in a tent in a refugee camp in Dohuk in the Kurdish region of Iraq. She approached cautiously. 
Though embarrassed when the Christian worshipers inside saw her, she came closer and asked if she could enter and listen to what they were saying. By the time the meeting finished at 4 a.m., you think I talk a long time, she, she was on her way to embracing Christ as Savior and asked if she could bring friends and family to the next meeting. Fatima, her husband, and three daughters put their trust in Jesus for their salvation. And within a few weeks, her involvement led to another 60 families making the same commitment, according to an area ministry leader. Tent churches are going on everywhere, said the ministry leader. Last week, we had 68 families openly surrender their lives to the Lord with all their large needs and difficult situations that they are going through. They thank God for the indwelling of Christ in their hearts. Twelve of those families of the 68 families were Muslims. It's interesting to see. The truth is, is that this, this story is still playing out today in our present world. And probably the place that you would assume would be the most infertile soil, God is doing a work in drawing people to himself. He's st- the same message, the same thing. It's still throwing the same seed, still throwing the same seed. No new creative take on it. The same thing sees different results. What we see is the awesome truth is that when we're faithful with that, our calling, sowing the seed, then God can do some awesome things through that. We don't have to be discouraged by the fact that like, you know what, this fell on hard soil. And what I've realized, I was talking about this in between services with a, a lady out in the, the atrium area, I was talking about how like, yeah, this, this reminds us how key prayer is in all this, right? Because who's, who's the one that, that, that can till the hardest of soils, right? Like no, nobody's beyond hope. I mean, I've seen some people that you would have never guessed were going to come to Christ, do the most extreme and follow him. And so the uh, prayer is the, is, the, is the motivator that compels the soil to be tilled. And so even if you're dealing with somebody that has the rocky soil or the thorns or the hard soil with the birds, like you could still, prayer can still till that soil because God's still at work around us. So how do we get to be a part of this? How do we get to have this kind of response where you're like the, the 30-fold, the 60-fold, the 100-fold? And I was thinking about John 15, 5. What does that say? It says Jesus talking, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, what's going to happen? He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. The word abides by definition is to obey, observe, follow, stand by, stick to. Sounds a lot more like a follower than a fan, right? The abide piece. Let me pray towards that end. God, we thank you so much for this text and really how you clarify expectations of how your kingdom works. How as the seed goes out, there's a lot, a lot unfortunately, which breaks your heart, that rejected. But then there's some, and that's why we keep on plowing. That's why we keep on presenting the, the good news as you've described it. There's some, God, that the soil that you've ripened, that you've prepared, that you've softened, that it actually takes root, where they embrace you. They embrace you in an eternity-redirecting choice. God, and not just... Uh, for eternity to talk about, but you start to see in that person something completely different coming out of the ground. That old soil breaks a, a new person. You make things new, as we're about to sing about in a second. That's the beautiful thing. That's the compelling thing that keeps us going with this. 
What a privilege it is that you've chosen to include us with proclaiming, broadcasting the good news of Jesus Christ. Empower us to do that even in the week ahead. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.